Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 561 for August 26, 2018. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, installment 61 of X. How are you doing today, Bart? Hi, I'm doing just fine. I got nothing done this week. Well, that's good, <laughs> because, I think. Because I spent all my time on my homework. I had so much fun. I oh, sat on on our back deck with a glass of Chardonnay one night into the to the wee hours working on it and uh, had no success. And then the next night did the same thing. But that time I tried Cabernet and I succeeded. So clearly Cabernet is a programming grape. <laughs> exactly. That's what it's about. But uh, I have a, an important PSA to everyone mm-hmm. in the uh, in the audience. Um, if you have tried a lot of different solutions, all of which seem like they wouldn't have worked and they didn't. Maybe really earlier on in that process, you should check to see if you're you're typing your variable names consistently, or throughout the uh, the program, or possibly the IDs of your tags. That will make a teensy teensy difference. Yes, I developed all kinds of bizarre solutions, and uh, and I even had justifications for why it had to be this weird way. And I ran it by Dorothy after mine worked, and she said, "Yeah, that's funny." Basically, it was I found someone saying that. Uh, the value of a pull down of a drop down does not change when you make a selection that you actually have to go to you have to find the tag colon selected to do it and she says no you don't and i said well that's that the is, way mine does it well, well that is had, true right if you didn't have jquery what you found oh, is correct jquery makes oh. us not have to do that kind of awful annoying stuff this is why i love jquery so without jquery you're absolutely correct you can't get the dot value but you can get the dot val which is jquery's little bit of genius okay well so i was i had it correct uh originally i had a a dot valve two parentheses it was all correct but since i was giving the id name wrong i was missing a a camel case middle d and drop down and uh because of that i discovered this other solution which of course didn't solve it but once i fixed the the uh, id name then it started working so i assumed it was also necessary but uh after she said it worked without that i was like wait a minute and i took it out and it worked fine I went back to the stack exchange where somebody had written up that you had to do this. And in that, the person said, oh, yeah, sorry. After you changed your question, I changed it to the correct answer, which is dot val. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) But anyway, that's why you learn, right? When you you do stupid stuff. So I had fun in any case. Well, that's the most important thing of all. Um, So it's two weeks in a row you've been very productive programming wise. Yeah, yeah, enjoying myself. I mean, I, that's like a 15-second task to you that took me, you know, three days, but I had fun, so that's what yeah. it's about, right? Exactly. That's it, exactly. So what are we going to do this week? Well, I thought given that last week, I would certainly count last week as heavy lifting, especially given uh-huh. that we hadn't really done any JavaScript in quite some time, or sort of any jQuery. So I thought we'd swap it around and have a light lifting one. So in general, most... Certain many and probably most of the Bootstrap uh, components rely on JavaScript to do some or all of their magic, but there are a few that are pure CSS. So I figured we'd just pick two of those this week, um, and then I would give you a little bit more JavaScript homework related to alerts again, um, just a okay. little more practice before we move Keep on. Polishing to that, good, yeah. good, more practice, more better for me. Yeah, that's what I sort of figured. So. Uh, challenge solution, I guess, is the first place to start. So the first challenge was 
kind of straightforward. Just um, add a dismissible alert into your recipe. So that basically involves including the script tags at the bottom of the body and then just pretty much copying and pasting the code from last week's show notes. So, yep, not really sure there's much we can say about that. Yep, it worked uh, worked for me to copy and paste. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing there was no Chardonnay required. No, no, that was the no. easy part. So challenge two then was a little more involved. Um, so basically you were extending pbs60b.html from the previous installment. Um, so we want to... At that stage, you just had a button to make an alert and we had a button to delete all the alerts. But every time you push the button, you just got the same alert over and over again. And what I wanted was a text box where you could type in some text and a drop down where you could choose a style. And then when you hit the button, you got an alert with the appropriate style. And then when you hit the delete button, they should all vanish. And of course, they should all be individually dismissible as well. So a little bit more involved. Um terms of the html probably a little bit of flicking back through previous installments i'm guessing to remember how forms worked because we haven't looked at one in ages and ages <laughs> right so i went with uh, i decided to use a field set and do the whole thing properly and do the whole aria carry on so field set role equals form aria labeled by legend all that stuff basically did it all by the book um, and then included just a simple a text box with a label uh, and then a drop down, so a select with a label. And, you know, so I think the form is straightforward enough in my HTML. Um, yes, yeah, definitely. Then the other important point, which is the point you run into in, in your homework, is you need to have a div with an ID to actually plop all of those alerts into. And so I also have one of those in my code. Oh, that um, one wasn't the hard part. It was the ID that I put on the dropdown itself. Ah, okay. Equally as important. That I screwed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have could have screwed them up both up, though. Yeah, they're, they're both as important as each other, really. Uh, <laughs> if you can't get the input, you can't make the output. Mm-hmm. So then it really does, once you have the HTML done, it really does become a matter of event handlers, which is sort of what makes jQuery go, really, especially when you're doing you know human interaction. It's all about event handlers. So we needed to add an event handler to the button for generating alerts and specifically a click handler so that when you click the button, something happens. Um, uh, now, you didn't tell us we had to do that. So that's not how I did it. I did mine on submit. So if you hit the enter key, it would go. Okay, that's... It is an, an event, event handler, handler, but it's not a click. Yeah, okay, that works. Uh, did you yeah. make your button into a submit button then? I didn't have a button. Oh, Okay. I had a, a text field and a drop down, so the instruction said choose a drop down, put in your text and hit enter. <laughs> it was a lazy man's way of doing it. Yeah, I was gonna say a submit perhaps... button would have been better. It, it it definitely would be a better form. Yeah, I'm just thinking how assistive devices would deal with that. Yeah, I think on the whole you probably do want to have a button that makes it go. But again, button type equals submit would have just done it for you because that would have triggered yeah. exactly the same event oh, and your handler would have oh, caught it. Okay. I was going Either as way. lazy as possible. I spent I spent two days just getting the drop down to be recognized to find it. So it, I ran out of gas when it came to the rest of it. Right. Yeah, that's it's always the little things that catch you out. The, yeah. If I had a euro for every time it was a bloody typo that I spent, you know, <laughs> an entire day of being stressed and cranky and, a, you know, I don't notice that I have OU instead of UO or something, you know. And then yeah. You finally give up and you ask a colleague for the 
you know, for God's sake, the universe has stopped making sense. Help. And they're going to go, yeah, that's not a spell color. Yeah. Oh, so it is. Uh, yeah, okay. See, there's another argument to not put the U in color. <laughs> <laughs> Missing the point entirely, she says, what? <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, again, this code is quite similar to what was in the example, uh, except, of course, that in the example, they always made the same alert. So, in this case, the important point is getting the text out of the text box and getting the class out of the dropdown. Mm-hmm. So this again comes down to using uh, the, our good friend the dollar function. So we're using we're passing it a single string as an argument, which is the CSS for finding our text box. So in my case, that was pound sign or hash or octothorpe or whatever we're calling it. Alert underscore text underscore tb is what I gave the idea I gave mine. And then jQuery's dot val function pulls in the value from the text box. And now, then, let, me, let me ask you a question here. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's my working text? Uh, 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 where is it? Where is it? Um, so in in yours, you have the dollar function, but then you've got squirrely brackets dollar function again. And mine, I did not do that extra set of dollar and squirrely brackets, and it functions. Okay, so I am using uh, J- JavaScript's template strings with the backticks. Right, and Dorothy and I chatted about that backtick concept. So you guys probably string concatenated. Uh, or, or what why, was okay? No, see. what was the value? No, so I created a, a a constant constant dollar drop val, and right. that was that was equal to dollar quote uh, hash my dropdown unquote dot val. Okay, so that's pulling the value out of the selected element. So what actual then, value was in the selected element? The value that's in the selected element was the select. It was the value of the select. Right, okay, but what was the value of the select? As in, what value attribute did you give your in your dropdown? The value I gave it was just danger warning info. Oh, I didn't give it oh, alert no. minus. Oh, no, I... I gave it. A, I gave it alert dash primary, alert dash sec- secondary, right. alert dash light. So I need I to concatenate mine with alert dash because I was too lazy to type the alert dash. Well, I did. Uh, I still did have to because I needed to. I did have to concatenate when I added the class because I had to have alert and then yes. alert dash secondary. Yeah. So in so my I did case, concatenate those. I'm so the back tick means start a template string. So in that template string, we have alert space, alert dash, and then dollar squarely means break out of the template string to find to go fetch a value. Break out of the template string, go find the value. So everything between the opening and closing squarely bracket gets injected into the string. That's okay. what that's how template strings work. Yeah, I forget those. Okay. Yeah, they, we learned about those later in the game when we discovered uh, ES6 because they're a right. shiny new feature from ES6. So you could have done that as a, a, an intermediary step with a variable? I could have, or I could have done a normal string concatenated with dollar alert underscore scale underscore cell. Oh, now I remember those. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really liked those. They're cool. I love them to bits. Because <laughs> you didn't have to do the heavily. pluses and the quotes and all that. But without, exactly. uh, you wouldn't need the, um, and I've already lost the name of the, the what strings? Template. What are they Template strings. You wouldn't need the template strings if you had made it a variable. I would have. An intermediate variable. I would have. Then I would have simply said dollar open squarely bracket name of intermediate variable close squarely bracket. I would have had a shorter. 
Oh, you still would need the squirrely brackets because you still got to step outside of the uh, of yeah. the template string. Okay. Oh, yeah. So okay. Dollar, dollar open squarely steps you out, and close squarely puts you back in. I have a, I, I absolutely one hundred percent understand right now, and I reserve the right to later on go. Huh? We talked <laughs> about that. It feels like something that's not sticky, but that I really like, and I understand. We'll yeah. see. Practice will make perfect uh, because template strings are just so handy. You'll f- the real world yeah. will soon put those in your head. Okay, good. Um, and hey, that make it a rule that I have to use a template string in, in whatever homework comes the week after this one. <laughs> <laughs> Using template strings. I don't like doing that because I like to let people do, do it their way. But I'll, I'll bear it in mind. I'll remind you of them. Okay, yeah. You might consider... But to be honest, no. that's going to happen anyway because all of my sample solutions are going to use them all over the place because it's the only way I concatenate strings these days. I don't I okay. hate the pluses. It's just, it just leads to such messy code. Like it's so hard to read code that's full of plus, 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 plus. Yeah. And you can just use the, the template strings. Um, at that stage, we're back to being just like we were before. So call the alert jQuery plugin to turn our assembled alert into an alert. Wait, wait, uh, you skipped over the prepend part. And I want to I want to be teacher's pet right here cuz mm-hmm. I I found an error in Bart's code. I uh it, because I was completely baffled by how to attack the problem. I was uh had the JavaScript console open on his um on his solution 60 uh, 60B and I was looking in there and I found this extra span just sitting there doing nothing. And it was in the middle of this a.prepend thing, and I was trying to figure out where it came from and what it was, and I found, I think it's a, a missing close uh, uh, right angle bracket is what I think it was. Or no, you no, had, you had open slash. span, but no missing, no, you didn't have a, uh, oh, right, a missing slash in the span. You had two open spans, not an open and a close. Exactly, yeah. So instead of it being span, ampersand, time, semicolon, slash span, it was span, span. And it was interesting that, that that the code still worked, and it just went, oh, I'm just going to throw in an open and a close span to make this all make sense. Well, what it actually did was close in two close spans before the slash button, which oh, is the browser right. falling into quirks mode. Oh, right, right, right. So but I was proud of myself for finding us. it. Yeah, yeah, which is the browser good. forgiving us, which it, I wish it didn't, because... When the browser is nice forgiving, it, it, it actually means there's a lot of sloppy code out there because browsers are too forgiving, and... Quirks mode sometimes does quirky things, and so really you'd prefer your code not to throw the browser into quirks mode. Yeah, well, and you might end up with a uh, a quirky solution different in one browser than another if they're both interpreting. Yes, because there's yeah. there's, there's no rule as to how you're supposed to do, you know, well, there's no rule for what you're supposed to do when the programmer breaks the rules. <laughs> sure, by <laughs> yeah, definition, right? right. right? You're, Going, you're oh, off I'm the reservation. Sure this is what he meant. Right. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, that, that is exactly what's going on. So apparently Safari's answer is I'll just close everything uh, because the span can't break outside the button. So as the button closes, I guess I should close both of those spans. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was pleased in finding it, not because not I was pointing at you for making a mistake, but as much as that I understood what was going on and it helped me learn because I saw this and said, wait, how, how, why would that be there? Let me go look at his mm-hmm. code and see if I can find it. So that was that was kind of nifty. I enjoyed that. Yeah, because the correction I got was not. There was this weird thing in your code, and I don't understand. That was you forgot to close that span. I was like, oh yeah, so I did. <laughs> so yeah, so thank you. Well spotted. 
Um, so, yeah, so at that stage, we've we've built our div, we've given it the text, we've given it the class, uh, we've prepended the button to make it have a close button. Uh, we've then used the alert jQuery plugin provided by Bootstrap to turn it into an alert. We then add a click handler onto the close function that just console.logs the fact that it was closed. To be honest, that's only there because I copied and pasted from PBS <laughs> 60B. It's really not relevant to the homework now that I think about it. And then we shove it into the page by saying, um, you know, using, again, our dollar function to find the div we want to shove all the alerts into and then appending our newly assembled div. So you basically create a div, set it up the way you want, call the alert function on it to turn it into an alert and then shove it into your document using append. Not having done this uh, correctly because of my stupid typo uh, forced me to just dig and dig and dig to understand it more and more. So I look at your code and I'm like, yep, got it. Totally understand now. Whereas before the homework, I was like, oh, I haven't done JavaScript for a really long time. It's really hard. I can't possibly read this. I'm not going to be able to do the homework. Uh, And now you can. Homework really helps. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Okay. Um, So that's... To be honest, that's kind of it, really. Um, so we're ready for new stuff. All right. Do I have something to download here? There is a zip file which has two sample files in it, which we will be referencing. Shockingly Alrighty. called PBS 61A and PBS 61B, because I'm nice. very imaginative I am. All right. Hey, but that really helps. I really like being able to find all my stuff in nice order. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> You'll notice the way my my podcasts are are entitled is always your month date, so that they're always in order. It's oh yeah, not by I'm accident. A, I'm a big fan of ISO eighty six oh one dates. <laughs> okay, so we're going to learn about two uh, entirely CSS based jQuery components today. Um, the first one has a way cooler name than the second one. The first one is the Jumbotron. <laughs> So we're going to a rock concert and there's this big Jumbotron thing out there? Not quite that cool, unfortunately, but it does serve a similar purpose, actually. So you may have noticed a trend, particularly on corporate websites, although I had a little look and podfeet.com has a Jumbotron. It's just, you probably don't oh, know really? what it's called that. Yeah, so if I go, let me just bring up podfeet.com here. So the idea of a Jumbotron is it's something that you would generally have on your homepage and its job is to catch the visitor's attention immediately tell it the most tell the visitor the most important things and very often there's also a call to action of some sort. So in your case it's Technology Geek Podcast with an ever so slight Macintosh bias, your most important buttons and a nice big background behind it all. That's your Jumbotron. Yeah. Huh. I do yeah, remember not a them saying what's your call to action and going, what are you talking about? Okay, I guess I want them to push the buttons. Yeah. Now on a corporate site it's it's usually easier to define these things. So the, the, the big the biggest text would be name of company. Underneath it will be their catchphrase, you know, so maybe Bart's ISP. An ISP that doesn't suck. And then the call <laughs> to action might be something like, you know, get the best value on unlimited data plans in Ireland. Click here to learn more or something. You know, that'd okay. be your call to action. But that's I mean, you know, you see that all over the place, right? That sort of a company name, company slogan, and then some sort of call to action. You and make me feel so crass, like it's a <laughs> like it's a no, carnival sign. <laughs> but it's not a bad thing, right? A visitor coming to your site once it's 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 like when you're composing a photograph. A visitor doesn't want to sit there thinking, "What should I be looking at?" It mm. should sort of happen. And so, okay. if you come to a website and you're not actually drawn to the important things, then the person designing the website didn't do a good job. 
So okay. if I'm coming to your site and I'm being drawn to blog posts, podcasts, videos, tutorials, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that was the point I was trying to make with the redesign. Right. So that is a call to action, and that is using a Jumbotron in the appropriate way. So don't feel crass about it. It's helpful to you and to the visitors, right? It's it's helpful to everyone. So because it's such a common thing to do, Bootstrap provided basically a what they call a component to do Jumbotrons. And they give you two flavors of Jumbotron to choose from. Um, the more regular one is designed to sit into the grid and to behave as basically a special type of row. So it will you can slot it into your grid wherever you would normally slot a row. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have to be at the top. In fact, your Jumbotron is not at the very top of your page because you have your banner above and then your Jumbotron and then the rest of your front page. Right. Uh, but some people may want the Jumbotron at the very, very top. But again, it doesn't really matter. The point is, the first flavor of Jumbotron behaves like a row in the grid. And so where you would open a row, instead you open a Jumbotron. But and it then, doesn't have any columns in it. Exactly. Or does so it, it? Okay. It does not. It does not. It okay. is basically, so you don't say div class equals row. You say div class equals Jumbotron. Hmm. Okay. And then from that point on, you're in a Jumbotron, so there's no more rows, columns, or anything that carry on. Um, the other kind then is a full width jumbotron designed to so the normal jumbotron has rounded corners and stuff so it doesn't look right if you let it touch the edge of the screen um, so I say Podfeed isn't a bootstrap side so your jumbotron isn't a, a bootstrap jumbotron but if it was a bootstrap jumbotron it would be the second kind because okay. it is clearly full width right there are no rounded corners on that it's edge to edge yes right right so the second flavor of going over to look at it. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry it's been long. T- it's been a long time since I really studied how I made it. Okay. Yeah. So the 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 second kind of jumbotron in in um, in Bootstrap world, um, it doesn't sit in the grid at all. It actually sits outside your grid, so you'd have it in front of your grid or maybe between. So a grid sits within a container, so you'd have maybe you might have a container and then one of these full width jumbotrons and then another container. Or maybe just the Jumbotron and then your first container or whatever. Uh, but basically, it sits outside of the grid. It's not. It's designed to be right there at the root of your document. But which? So I've gotten lost on which one's which. Which one sits outside of the container? The full width one is outside of a container. That makes it can, sense. Okay. It can, yeah, exactly. A container stops stuff bouncing off the edges. Okay. Um, because it contains it. Uh, so without a container, you're whacking off the edges, which is in this case what you want. And the very strange thing then, so... The uncontained Jumbotron is an extremely odd fish. So when I introduced you to the concept of the grid, I said, with a few exceptions, a grid consists of rows, consists of columns. Mm -hmm. And I sort of waved my hands a bit and went, that's almost always true, but not quite. Yeah, this is the almost always, but not quite. So if you go with a full-width Jumbotron, you do not put it inside a container. Instead... You put a container inside it, mm. and then you throw away all the rules, and you have no rows and no columns, and you just put your content in. Okay. So full-width Jumbotrons are extremely odd fish. Uh, I personally don't use them. I just use a regular Jumbotron, and then sanity is all there, and it's all normal and sensible. But anyway, you can do it, so I figured I'd mention it. So to make a normal Jumbotron... You simply have a div inside your grid where you would normally start a row, but instead of saying class equals row, you just say class equals Jumbotron. And then, hey presto, a Jumbotron has started. And then inside that, you would put your H1 tag or whatever it is you want to have inside your Jumbotron, usually a heading. Uh, 
Uh, if you're going the other way, then at the very root level of your document, so not inside any other tags, you would say div class equals jumbotron space jumbotron dash fluid. Hmm. Okay. So and the, the jumbo- fluid one is the one that goes all the way to the edge. And yeah, it's but not you need inside to say, of a container. It's not inside of a container, but it's 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 your typical J or bootstrap thing where it's first you say jumbotron to pick up most of the cells of a jumbotron, and then you say space jumbotron dash fluid, and the dash fluid adds the extra CSS needed to unround the corners and a few other things. So it's class equals jumbotron space jumbotron dash fluid. Just like it was class equals alert space alert dash success. Okay. Uh, And then you have a full edge-to-edge jumbotron, but the thing is if you put content straight into that edge-to-edge jumbotron, your content would also touch the edges. And so it would look terrible. So... You say div class equals container, and then you put your content straight into the container, which is going to break every single habit that you've picked up and is going to feel completely and totally wrong. (laughs) But it will look right. Okay. So PBS61A shows one of each kind of Jumbotron. Um, So there's a screenshot in the show notes of what they look like, you know, as they are, and then I've taken the relevant snippets of code and popped them into the show notes. So because the full-width Jumbotron looks best as the first thing in a page, I have it first in my sample page. Okay. So it's at the very top level, div class equals Jumbotron space Jumbotron dash fluid, div class equals container, and then it's h1 class equals display dash for a full-width Jumbotron. And then P class equals lead. This is what a full width Jumbotron looks. A Jumbotron looks like it goes all the way to the edge. Slash div slash div. And hey presto, we have a Jumbotron. Right. Uh, so again, the key point to note is it's it is a top level element, and then it contains a container with no rows or columns, just to confuse you. Right. The more common ones then are your normal Jumbotrons, and they're designed to sit inside um, inside a container. So, in this case, I have div class equals container dash fluid because I, I, wanna, I want my container to go all the way to the edge. Then we say div class equals jumbotron. So, where you would normally have div class equals row, instead we're saying div class equals jumbotron. And then we have very similar stuff. H1 class equals display for a regular jumbotron. P class equals lead. This is a more normal way to use jumbotron. <laughs> then, as you'll very often see, the jumbotron will sort of have, you know... Uh, a big title, some sort of lead, and then often a, a line, a separator, and then your call to action comes next. So in this case, I just popped in an HR. Um, and then I said, this type of Jumbotron acts as a row within the grid. Another paragraph, you'll often see some kind of call to action in a Jumbotron, followed by a button, which happens in this case to take you to the documentation for the Jumbotron. <laughs> I that was a valid thing to call your action to. Nice, nice. Uh, can I ask a reminder question? Just by declaring we have a container, that's what makes this be in the grid? Is that where we yes, make the yes. grid? Okay. Yeah, so, right. di- so class equals container starts a grid, or class there equals container okay. dash fluid starts a grid. The difference is without the dash fluid, the container will always be one of the exact widths. So as you resize the window, it'll jump in... Oh. It'll be quantized, to use a physics term. Oh, nice. Nicely done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so container is quantized. Container-fluid is... So analog or digital is how an engineer would say it. (laughs) So yes, exactly. So And then to prove the point, I end my Jumbotron, and then I say div class equals row. 
Holoch. So really, it is just like being in a normal grid. Then Dave Classic was call, and then I just stuck in some more random glop. You know, the grid continues. You continue to use the grid as normal below the Jumbotron for the rest of your page content. Okay. And that's so, pretty to easy. be honest, that's kind of all there is to Jumbotrons. So but they're, they're nice. that more useful than just building it? You know, just making a, a row with everything in one column, you know, well, saying call 12, okay, splat well, some also, titles in? Well, you'll notice that it doesn't look like a normal row because it has a background color and it also has a lot of spacing. It's designed ah, okay. to be very airy and very eye-catching and very... It's not at all... Like, if you did that as a normal row, it wouldn't be anywhere near as well-spaced out. It wouldn't be anywhere near as eye-catching. It would be a much less jumbo sort of thing, right? Okay. Okay. So that's part of the... You told us that it has opinions, right? This is this is their opinion of what a Jumbotron looks like, is it is airy and it has all the space around it. Exactly, yeah. I mean, the components are all opinion, right? Because they're things that... There is no such tag as component slash... Or, sorry, Jumbotron slash Jumbotron, right? The very, the very name Jumbotron is a thing that doesn't exist in basic HTML. So this is pure opinion here. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, I, I just checked in... Um, Site origin calls them site origin hero images. Yeah, or that that thing. It's called a hero. That is another very commonly used phrase for that. Again, it's, it's, the point of it is to be the thing that catches the eye as you arrive. It's like I am in no doubt where I should be looking, and then there should be the things I want you to see first. Yeah, yeah. hero is a good name yeah. for it too. Okay, so the, the, as you can see, this is a nice simple component, no JavaScript anywhere involved. It's sort of you know, it's easy. So let's yeah. do a second one before we call it a day. So the second one is also something you see very, 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 very commonly all over the place. Badges. You know, that little thing that says trending or new or best value or, you know, <laughs> you have two new emails or whatever, right? Those, those little badges. You see them everywhere on the internet. And uh, Bootstrap provides you with a component to do that, which they have very cleverly named badge. And to use a badge, you simply take the content that you want to be badged and you wrap it in any inline tag of your choice, which is usually a span, to be honest, and you give it the class badge. And then, in typical bootstrap style, you give it a second class that tells it what type of badge it should be, choosing between badge-primary, badge-secondary, badge-info. You, I, I don't think I need to go on. Even I could maybe guess the rest of that one. Okay. Huh. So, by default, the badges are round rects. And they'll they'll take their color from whatever style you said. So badge dash warning will be sort of a yellowy by default. Uh, badge dash danger will be red. You get the you know the usual stuff. And their default rendering is as a basically white text on a background with um, round rects, subtly rounded rects, which is very much the bootstrap way. Uh, but sometimes you don't you want them to be more standout-ish. And so they do give you a second choice, which is they call a pill badge. And the idea here is that instead of it being a round rect, it's a semicircle, a straight bit, and then another semicircle, which is basically achieved by having the border radius be half the height. I like it. Uh, and to get one of those, you add an extra class. So you say badge, space, badge dash primary, or badge dash secondary, and then another space, badge dash pill. And then yeah, you I just get the changed yours. Version. It looks neat. I like the pills, actually. I think I prefer the pills, to be honest. Yeah. And 
I, I do notice that they they made a decision to allow the bottom of the badge to be very close to letters that hang below the the line, but the top not uh, to be much farther from the capital letters. It upsets me. Okay. <laughs> it just it, look, it looks crowded on the bottom. It looks like it's not lined up right. It is centered, uh, which means it will tend to look better when used inside things like buttons. Which is, to be honest, where you generally would see it, see it inside buttons or inside navigation bars. Oh, so you could make a button and give it the class badge? Oh, you could make a button and put a badge inside the button. And so then, if, you, if you think of Gmail or something, your inbox button will almost always show you how many messages are in your inbox. So it's a button containing a badge. Oh, okay. So this badge has meaning beyond the fact that it was just made into a pill shape or a, and colored. Well, right. I mean, you will put some text in it, right? You're using a badge to try... No, but I mean, ex- it'll have a, like a sequential numbers attached to it from something? If you choose to. Oh. Oh, okay. Because that's why you would make it a badge. Otherwise, you would just make it a rounded rectangle or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean... It would just be a background, some, right? Yeah, you have some piece of information that you want to draw attention to a sort of a, basically you're sort of flagging it as metadata, right? That's sort of what badging is, right? So if you, if you, a place you might see it. So I, I recently, well, basically, so I do my online shopping with one company and have done for years. And then someone else sent me a thing through the post basically saying, we'll give you 15 year off if you shop with us at least once. I was like, fine, I will shop with you at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have this thing where whenever you do a search, they will badge um, the best value option on the page. And so it will look like their normal grid of here's all the different types of cauliflower we have. And one of them will have a red badge that says best value. And that's okay. the kind of thing you would want to badge because it's metadata and you want to draw attention to it. Just like on your inbox, you want to badge the number of messages in that inbox so that you're seeing a menu of all of your folders in your Gmail or whatever, and the little badges tell you how many messages are in there. So it's a piece of metadata you want to draw attention to. But I'm still kind of tangled here. Couldn't you take, like in your example, you've got trending and it's got badge-success. Couldn't that just be a background, background-success for that word? It could, yeah. It doesn't fundamentally do anything different. Except, well, you're... Okay, it could, right? Um, remember that Bootstrap is designed to be extended. So Right, so there's probably stuff that extends badges to add little numbers well, for Well, no, you how many could decide reading. that I want badges to have underlines oh, or something. Oh, okay. Okay. Right? Okay. Because there's yeah. no reason you can't add your own rules for the class badge. So, it, 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 dare I use the word, it's a semantic uh, class. Yes. It okay. most certainly is, yeah. Okay. And by okay. default, it has a sensible styling, but it is absolutely semantic, yeah. I'll stop looking for it to have different functionality and accept that it has different meaning. Yeah, which is a, an awful, awful lot of CSS is about assigning meaning to things, right? When you're picking class mm-hmm. names and stuff like that, it's all about sort of trying to add sensible meaning to it, trying to put a bit of structure on that gloppo stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to be honest, that's kind of it. The only other thing is um, you can use you, you can add the badge tag to an A tag, and what you then have is a clickable badge, and it will look like a normal badge. But when you hover over it, it will actually have a nice little, a subtle but nice little. Um, it changes background color subtly when you hover over it. Oh, so you can have an actionable badge by using the A tag to to make your badge, and it automatically does that. 
Yeah, so if you say A class equals badge, then because you used an A tag, Bootstrap will have created the hover styles for you. Oh. So that makes it do something functionally different than just it a does, background. actually, yeah. So they, they just proved, yeah, there you go. That's another <laughs> good reason it. to use badges. Yeah, there you go. Um, and as I say in my example, you can see I have one place where it says learn more and then I have a badge that says one because there's one support article linked there. Now, how I was, did, so I was you're, really grasping at straws. Yeah, well, I like it. So there was, uh, so around learn more, it's blue because it is, let me find it, it's a button. Uh, button dash primary. Wait, no. It is, it, primary it is, is blue, a button. Right. Yeah. So it's a button and then you gave it um, the one, oh, the one actually is what has the badge class. Yes. And that's why so it's white on top of the blue. Okay, I thought the whole learn more was a badge, but it isn't. It's just the yeah. one. Yeah, which what? is, a, I put that in there as an example of badging inside buttons because that's a very common thing to do. So hang on, the but <laughs> boy, this is going to be boring for everybody else, but the button is learn more and it's what changing color. I don't see the, the one changing color. Right, because it's not an, the one is not an actionable badge. I, I couldn't think of a way to have an actionable badge that made sense. So, oh, so it would have to be actionable in order to, like, if, well, if we put the A, uh, the A tag on the one, that would have been making it actionable as opposed to the whole button, which would be harder to hit. Yeah, it just, <laughs> uh, yeah, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, okay. But there are situations where you might want an actionable badge. Uh, maybe, um, maybe you could use a badge for a favorite button or something. Yeah. Or a pin, I don't know. There's there's, there's reasons sure. you might want to use a badge. You might want to make your badge actionable. It's not yeah. something I've actually done in the real world, but they went to the bother of writing styles for it, so someone must do it. <laughs> At least one person, the person who wrote the styles. <laughs> right, right. So, to be honest, that's that's it for today. I figure that's a nice light load, but I do have a challenge for you, um, and this one may be challenging. Uh-oh. Although, it's, again, it's a game of two halves. The first half is quite straightforward. Um, I would like you to dig up your popcorn recipe in your case, and I would like you to add a Jumbotron to it. Oh. Whichever kind of Jumbotron you like, whatever way you would like it, but basically, you use the Jumbotron, play around with the Jumbotron, make, you know, basically experiment with the Jumbotron on your recipe. And I have permission to, to use my PBS index instead? If I Oh, yeah, whatever. My, basically, my play with the Jumbotron. To okay. be honest, that's all that matters. Play with the Jumbotron. I could make the Jumbotron be an ad for Orville Redenbacher popcorn. Yeah, that would be a <laughs> call to action. What popcorn should I get? <laughs> Buy your popcorn Put here using out. Allison's affiliate link. Exactly. Oh, there you go. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Do Amazon sell popcorn? Oh, Amazon sell everything. Well, then yeah, you, there sure you go. You can make an affiliate link and then your call to action actually achieves yeah. some. I buy rice through them, so. Wow. Do you have like a button in your press that whenever you're low on rice, you no. hit the button and then rice magically no, arrives? No, because unfortunately they send you, f- you have to buy four containers full and I don't have enough storage space for that. Oh dear. Okay, so the second bit is a little more challenging. Um, so in this case, I'd like you to use as your starting point either your own solution to the previous challenge or my sample solution to the previous challenge. And in this case, you might have to use mine because what I want you to do is to add a badge into the button that adds alerts, which in your case is a button that doesn't exist. So at the very least, copy my button. Um, and that badge should show you the number of alerts currently displayed on the page. So oh. as, you, as you add more badges, as you add more alerts, the badge should update. And as you dismiss them, the badge should update. And as you close all, the badge should definitely update. 
So this is a game of events. I have no idea how to do that. Yeah. Ah, right. So I'm definitely going to give you this little hint. So this is all about event listeners. So what events are in play here? So the obvious event is clicking the button to add a new alert. That definitely is an event you need to add a handler to. Uh, but we that did learn. just how many times you've clicked it doesn't necessarily mean how many there are because you might have clicked the close the buttons. The close yeah, so buttons. you're going to have to be a bit more clever. So actually, let's let's work through this philosophically. That's a good way okay. to spend the next couple of minutes. So we're injecting these alerts into a div, probably. I mean, it doesn't have to be a div, mm-hmm. but in my code, it was a div, and I think it was in your code too. But we're injecting them into a part of our HTML page. Yes. Yes. So all of the alerts, whatever number of there are, be it one or a thousand, they're all in that one place. Mm -hmm. So we could write a CSS selector that will find those alerts. Yeah? Yeah. So it would start with the ID of the the element that contains all the alerts. So in my case, I think I called it insert underscore here. So I would start my, my selector with pound sign alert underscore here. And then the space character inside your selector means contained within. So I would say pound sign insert underscore here space dot alert. So dot means class. So dot alert. So if I were to say dollar sign, open a round bracket, open a quote. You're actually just, telling me how to do it. I'm not. No, I'm telling yeah, you. you no, 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 I really am not <laughs> If this is all I tell you, trust me, you're no one you're finished. So at that point, we have a selector which will find all of the alerts. So do you remember that jQuery has a dot .length function? Or not yeah. function, property. Yeah. So if you write that selector and get its dot .length, then you know how many alerts there are. Right. Now that's useful. That's not a full solution, right? So that's how. So whenever an event happens that you need to go recalculate, that is a way to recalculate, right? Use jQuery to tell you how many there are. And then you need to write that value into the badge. So the badge is going to have to have an ID so you can talk to it. But it's all about the event listeners. So the easiest event listener is every time I click the button to add a new alert, I execute my jQuery to find how many alerts there are and I update my badge. Okay, that's easy. But <laughs> for you. Okay. Well, I mean you already have an event handler to add alerts. So there's already yeah. a place to slot that code into. What you don't have mm-hmm. at the moment is an event handler for when an alert is closed. Uh although in my sample code there is because it says does console.write. So I guess I've accidentally given you a little bit more help. Uh-oh. So the second event is when someone clicks the close button which in my sample code just writes to the console, but we don't want to write to the console. We want to update the badge, but we know how to do that. And then the third event is when someone clears all the badges and they click on the other button. Right. So basically every time... So we probably should start with yours because I don't have have one that that clears all or anything like you did. Okay. Well then, yeah, then that would be the way to go. Yeah. Um, But again, it's all about events. So you need to think, how many ways are there for people to make the number of badges be different? So they can add one, they can close one, or they can close them all. So all three of those events have to be captured. And you have to respond to all three of those events by updating the badge. And And you probably have something to tell it how many there are to start with. Well, you should probably have your document.onload. Basically, your your document load handler should probably do a first-run calculation for that badge. 
So that's a fourth event you need to watch out for. Mm-hmm. See, that's a very common mistake in in JavaScript programming where people forget to initialize things on document load. And so basically you have code that works perfectly fine, assuming it was already working perfectly fine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not a good starting point. Um, So this is important practice because when you're writing any sort of web app, it's all about the events. And the thing is, users will find events to do you never even thought of. They'll go click on a button that to you makes that. no sense, but to them made sense. And you had better make sure that you're thinking very, very broadly when you're trying to figure out what events you need to go looking for and you need to respond to. So think about all the events and then plug your code into the relevant events and update your badge. Right. Thinking, thinking of the events first makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this again, it's, it's, it's an easy challenge to say, but there's actually a little bit more to it than meets the eye. I'm going to need some more Cabernet. Well, you've, maybe some, some nice Californian Zinfandel. <laughs> there you go. It could be done. You, you guys are really good at Zinfandel. Yeah, I do like Zin. Yeah. It's, um, and what, there's another one you're really good at. It's a f- Pinot. You are we good at Pinot. make nice Pinots. I'm, and, I'm, and I am particularly partial to Pinot. I don't care whether it's Blanc, Gris, or Noir. I do love me a Pinot. Oh, I'm only a, only a Noir kind of girl. Do you know the difference, by the way? Just a pure wine trivia, because I love wine. I'm going to say it has to do with whether they leave the, the uh, skins on. It does, because the Pinot grape is a fabulous grape. It's red on the outside and green on the inside. So it has a green flesh with a red skin. So if you never, ever, 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 ever let the skin anywhere near the process, you get a Pinot Blanc. I, you see very few of them. The Luxembourgers like to make them. My grandfather on my mother's side was particularly partial to them, because to be perfectly honest, they barely taste of anything. <laughs> So if you don't like wine, get one of these. Bingo, bingo. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, lovely man. You want to look like a grown-up. Yeah, uh, he would basically, he would always have wine to serve on New Year's Day because they would always host the family on New Year's Day and he always felt he had to drink wine with everyone else and he always drank his Pinot Blanc because basically it tasted of nothing. (laughs) So I'd always remember that. Uh, What you will tend to do is leave the grape in for a little bit, just like half a day or something. You mean the skin? The skin, which means that you then get a wine that isn't coloured, but it has some tannins and some sharpness from that skin having been there for at least a while, and that's the Pinot Gris. So Blanc is fully white, Gris is grey, and then the Pinot Noir is just just leave the skin in, just just leave it there, and then you get a wine that is red because the skin was red, but it's not a very deep red, it's not a blood red, it's not like a Cabernet red, right, it's a... Sort of like a like a punch red rather than like a wine red almost because of course it was the green grape with a red skin. So um, you like to be correct about things, and it looks mm. like someone get, fed you something wrong, or Wikipedia oh, no. is wrong on what Pinot Blanc is. It says Pinot, Pinot Blanc is a white wine grape. It is a point genetic mutation of Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is genetically unstable and will occasionally experience a point mutation in which a vine bears all black fruit except for one cane, which produces white fruit. Oh, well, I might explain why I see so so little Pinot Blanc out there. Yeah. If, if it's only... So it's like, the, it's like the black sheep of the family, only it's... it's the white green. sheep of the family. Yeah, where the... <laughs> that, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, I am correct a, about the gris and the, and the noir bit, though. So thank you for that correction, because I have never... Yeah, and by the way, uh, it says, in Alsace, Germany, Luxembourg, Italy, Hungary, and Czech Republic, and Slovakia. 
Yeah, that's so what, I, I did remember it correctly. So yeah. granted, drank a Luxemburger Pinot Blanc. Yeah. And Luxembourg is tiny. And if it only grows in like the odd sprig, there can't be a lot of <laughs> Pinot Blanc from Luxembourg. They made five this year, right? <laughs> yeah, and now, and now that unfortunately Grandad is no longer with us, they, they, have, they have leftovers. Oh, Historically, <laughs> Pinot Blanc was used in both in Burgundy and Champagne. Yeah, Champagne is a blend, so it has lots of grapes in it. Well, yeah. not lots, it has three in it. Um, it's still yeah, allowed in Burgund- Burgundy. How do you say that? Burgundy? Uh, Blanc blends. Interesting. This week in uh, Pinot Blanc. (laughs) See, I have been threatening to do a food podcast for ages. See, you could throw wine in. Oh, oh, that would absolutely. I mean, that is every bit as much part of food as anything else, right? Because, you know, learning about wine is fun. But then when you start to pair your wine with your food, it just opens up a whole other avenue. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, so that's, yeah, we learned so. our programming by stealth, had a little aperitif there at the end. <laughs> and we're still finished within the hour. This, this is good. This, this worked out well. I love it. I had fun and I look forward to this homework. This should be good. I'm, I'm going to check my typing first. Yes, definitely. And of course, remember that the console is always at your disposal. So if you're trying to debug the code for counting how many alerts there are, you can just type that code straight into the console and see if it gives you back the number you're expecting. Yeah, you know, I tried that console.log. It did nothing when you were putting the wrong name in. <laughs> it was yes. no use. It would go one, one, one what? No, for a while it said W with some <laughs> square brackets around it. I'm like, what the heck is that? You're not any help at all. It sounds like you were finding something empty. Yeah. Yeah. The thing yeah, is, because it wasn't, it didn't exist. Yeah. So if you use the dollar function and you get back nothing sensible, then it means that the dollar, the selector isn't working. So then you can refine your selector until you're getting back something in the console that looks like you're expecting. Yeah. But I didn't see what was wrong to know that it wasn't what it was expecting. (laughs) The worst part is when I wrote the variable, I remember thinking, oh, man, am I going to remember that second D being capitalized? Ah, sure, I will. (laughs) I forgot all about it. There's a lot to be said for consistent naming. Yeah. Because then you're not remembering what did I do. You're you're trying to remember do what do I, I do? normally do. And yeah, I, w- more I was thinking about putting a little dictionary at the top every time I create a variable or anything that I'm, I'm required to put in my own little dictionary at the top. Well, the other, like, a, you know, using a good IDE, the you know, the, basically the, the more fancy pants your IDEs get, they will do like auto completion of your own variable names and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, actually... Um, Code runner does. I should have noticed it, it wasn't filling time, it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, this was an ID, so not a variable. So maybe that's why. Okay, yeah, okay, that's asking. You, you want to? I'm not aware of any ID that would do that. It's theoretically possible, but I'm not aware of any that would do that. Because yeah, yeah, you're you're really asking for a lot there. Um, that is true. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, this was fun. Well, good stuff. And until next time, happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.